0: I'm Mike Walsh and you're listening to a special edition of the Between Worlds podcast, brought to you by Orange Business Services. I'm in Paris today, not far from the Champs-Élysées in the uh, wonderful offices of LVMH, and I'm sitting and having a coffee with uh, Mohamed Mafouk, who is the head of operations at the LVMH Group, the world's largest and most successful luxury brands uh, conglomerate. Uh, Mohamed, thank you for your time today. It's wonderful to meet you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, You know, I was reading some of the background profiles of you, and I was fascinated to see that you actually uh, originally came from Casablanca in that uh, wonderful country that is uh, Morocco.
1: Yes, that's my place of birth. I uh, still have some family there and still enjoy going there a couple of years, a couple of times a year.
0: Is it true that when you were small you actually dreamed more of uh, being a novelist or a, a poet rather than a luxury expert?
1: God, so you have been reading a lot of sources. That's what I was doing when I was still in Morocco. and I probably have never dreamed about being head of operation or doing IT stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 you're, I think, um, at a really fascinating moment in the sort of the, the evolution of luxury because the, you know, the new uh, luxury consumer has never been more different. They're younger, they're more connected, they're more global. And I think in many ways, they're more demanding um, of brands than at any time in history. What impact has this had on LVMH's view towards the role of technology and digital in the last few years?
1: Well, we we are realizing more and more that this is having a huge impact on the way we are going to talk to the new generation. We are in a business of heritage where, you know, you, you will be raised in families where you dream of buying the same thing that your parents used to have. And because of our product used to be timeless, you know, you would have a watch and you would dream to have the watch that your father had and, and, you know, and that heritage comes. And some of uh, your brands go
0: back to the 16th century.
1: uh, We even have older than that. One of our wine is back uh, dated to the 14th century, 1396. Right. So they are really old. So that tradition was more like a family tradition. Uh, Today, there is still part of that and we are proud to continue to maintain that tradition. But uh, we see more and more the young generation looking to what other things about, going to social, looking for advice, looking to, I mean, asking for more and more information because the offer have become bigger now than it used to be. So yes, communicating with the new generation and impacting them at the right moment where they are through their, I will say, consumer journey is becoming important, and digital is the most important tool to get in touch with them. I mean, yes, we get in touch with those guys when they make it to our stores, but usually when they make it to our stores is that they have already made up their mind.
0: Hmm. And have you started to look more closely at that uh, customer journey that, in terms of tracking the data points of, and the interactions?
1: Well, the great thing about LVMH is we have, we manage more than 70 brands. So each of our brand is really at a different stage. Yes, we have some of the people who almost completed the journey, if we, can, if we can ever complete a journey. And we have some of the people who are really still at some early stage of adopting digital in the journey. We continue to be proud of uh, our stores. I mean, we are making them unique. We are making the sales moment really a memorable moment for our people and we will continue to drive people toward that. But we recognize as well that digital, and by digital, we don't mean only the e-commerce side, but we believe as well that the call centers, I mean, interacting with the human being, have a role that is becoming more and more important.
0: What are some of the innovations in the call centers that you've been experimenting with?
1: Well, uh, the call center, when we started, you used to have only a phone as a way of interacting with the customers. Now, it is not rare that the customers send you a tweet or uh, interact to you to your ch- Facebook channel, or want to have a video uh, when they are interacting with you. So we are introducing all those means of getting in touch with the customer and we will use whatever tools the, the our customers feel comfortable with. So WeChat in some part of the world or uh, Twitter or Facebook or phone.
0: You know, I, I've noticed this new habit in some of the luxury boutiques in Paris where they will get your details on WhatsApp. Uh, I know because my, my, my wife was suddenly getting messages from the um, very industrious shop assistant telling her, t- sending her pictures of new things that arrived. Absolutely. And it's very different from getting an email because it's very personal, it's very direct, and it's very dangerous. <laughs> well, it, it,
1: it, yeah, I, I can see what you mean by it being dangerous. But to be honest, even before this technology came in, I can remind once uh, being called in one of our stores where we established a Skype between a husband and his wife in New York because he <laughs> wants to buy a gift, but he was not making his mind on the color or on the size. So we say, well, you know what? The best way not to get it wrong is let's establish that Skype so they can see the product and decide. So right. that was a kind of a use of technology. Uh, on the spot to be able to help that customer through one of his journey.
0: So is there a a kind of a new technology stack you're having to think about in terms of retail? Uh,
1: Definitely yes. I mean all what is happening on the social sector and the mobility is really changing the way we interact with the customers Uh, and it really have a profound impact even on the element of the infrastructure of the it so we're not talking only about the application yes. we're talking about the infrastructure uh, i'm an old man now so i remember when we had stores where you will be talking about a 64k line to hook one of your stores because basically it was to do you know transactional piece that he wanted to re- to take to the headquarter uh, today you will know, say average store will need more than 20 meg right and the reason for that is Well, we we pilot the music, we pilot the videos that get displayed in that. We give Wi-Fi to the guests coming there. We are giving mobiles to most of the sales associates. And if I look at, for example, some of our consumers will make it to a Sephora store. They pick up a product, they they will scan it, and they would like to see the video how-to. Now, when they are in the store, they will not understand that they are still going through maybe they are three G, four G connection, and that will be uh, will not provide them with the right experience. So, I rather get them connected to my Wi Fi and do some caching in on the store, so that the experience when they are having the product in their hand and the time it will take them to reach that video is instantaneous. That that really can increase our sales
0: are you also looking at the the data around wi-fi usage to give you a sense of where people spend time in the store as well
1: definitely i mean right. uh, i mean either through the wi-fi or through cameras and analyzing videos obviously anonymized videos to find out what are our heat zones why people make it right when they come off out of the escalator rather than making it left I me those are real examples when we find out that place in a mirror somewhere Cause of people when they come to the escalators to turn one way or to turn the other, so you are creating heat zones which have more sales than a cold zone where in which you are not doing that much sales. Right. So Yes, those are data that we are looking at.
0: And I think Sephora was a great example because that's very much at the cutting edge of the future of retail within the LVMH group. I was fascinated by some of the new concept stores and the, you know, the, um, you know, the tip. Uh, program that you guys have put together. Can you talk a little bit about that? About some of the ways that you've been innovating in the in the retail concept?
1: Well, really, several things in 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 the retail concept for Sephora. First of all, it is really one of our most successful brand in mixing, uh, uh, you know, the mortar and the dot com. I mean, it's our highest and biggest business, even in terms of numbers in e-commerce. Why? Because the 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 product that we are selling through Sephora are such that when you start when you want to try something new you probably want to make it to the store because we really have wonderful sales associates and they can give you a great experience about which product you need to use what is the product that is that will you know will match your skin colors on what you are trying to do so that's a great rich experience with you in the store once you know which product you want to buy you know maybe you don't want to make it to store again. You just want to refill. You know the product that you want. You just want to press a button and get it delivered home. So we really have a rich retail e-commerce. Once we start doing that, we found out that the interaction between the two, there is not a cannibalization. In fact, there is a multiplying effect. As people get more and more experience and more exposed to a product in the store, they buy more from the retail. As they buy more from the retail and they hear the stories in the retail about some of, uh, on the dotcom and they hear video, they see videos on thatcom and so on, they would like to make it to the store to try the new product. And that worked. The combination of the two works perfectly well for us. Now, what we did as well is in the stores because of the number of brands that we carry you will find it difficult for people to know about all the products. So we put a lot of a series of products we call IQ. So we started with Skin IQ, Perfume IQ, which are a lot of screen self-service that are available for our consumers, but as well for our sales associates so that they can give you advice or can take you to an experience.
0: So they're very much about putting the brand DNA into a learning module.
1: Absolutely. We do on top of that, for example, uh, teaching courses. So we have tables. If you have been to one of our Sephora in the US or here in France, we have a table that can host something like 10, 12 people. And we will have a teacher that will teach people how to put something. Okay? And the people, as they do that, if they like what they have done, we encourage people to take a picture of themselves and load it to our beauty right. board. So you can imagine what that imp- have has an impact on the infrastructure because while they are taking lessons, I'm not soliciting that much my infrastructure. But once they take, start taking those photos, high resolution, putting their comment to share it with friends, all of that get uploaded uh, over you know, a small period of time and increase our demand uh, on term of infrastructure. Uh, So that was the beginning of our story. As this story becomes successful, we start augmenting it, which is really rethinking what is our retail story? Why do we need to drive people into the store? And what is the new store for us? So we really have a concept that we call Sephora 3.0, which is what should the store of the future look like in big cities, in smaller cities where I may just need a small pop-up uh, because the population, unfortunately, will not, the economics are not there to allow us to have a 4,000 square feet uh, you know, surface, but I may have a smaller, that will have my A category product, but then all my B, C products will be only on that come. and our customer, they will still give them the choice, come back tomorrow and collect it from the store, or we can ship it directly home. So that opened for us new horizon in terms of convenience, where we see ourselves maybe continuing to open more stores in some remote areas, but smaller format. Right. But still, given our consumer, the full choice.
0: Does that model of the compact format with the e-commerce back end, do you think that will influence the other maisons as well?
1: I Again, it really depends on the categories. I, I believe that in the perfume and cosmetic, that's we see that as a winning model. Uh, at least we see it for the time being as a winning model. Uh, in, in the fashion, you know what? You don't buy fashion as frequently as you buy perfume and cosmetics. So people will continue to enjoy that experience. I mean, and you know what? It's it's an art. We develop that art of welcoming people to the store. Mm. You, you know, for for male guess we don't believe it, but some of the lazy may spend a full day there. I mean, they will have their lunch there, and and you know, they will try several things. It's 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 a wonderful moment, and that's why. People do not replace it easily. We have not yet found how to replace it on, on the digital side. People enjoy that moment where you are going, uh, you know, to be pampered by our... It's particular. a very human experience. It's uh, a video. human experience. It's, it's yeah. heavy on touch and you know, emotions, mm. so people enjoy it. Uh, I was discussing that with some friends and say, well, will you buy your wedding rings through the internet? Probably that's, there is some magic about that moment where you are going to engage. But Blue Nile has been very
0: successful though. Hmm? Blue Nile has been very successful. Well, they
1: have been, but you know, that's where we need not to be adamant about only one sector. We need to provide that magic for some of the people that want that magic and they are close to one of our stores. But we need to recognize that even though we have 4,000 stores, we are not close to, you know, a lot of population and they may enjoy having, you know, a digital experience and maybe having to think shipped this
0: is the interesting tension because in it, traditionally in luxury your growth was very much driven by increasing geographic distribution yes. um, so if you open more stores you get x multiples of growth but in this new digital world the you know the algebra is changing
1: uh, yeah. It is still true that we still enjoy some growth by opening more stores because we have not reached all the countries and we have not reached all the population that want to have our products. So that can continue to play a role. But I agree with you that digital can give us much, much more opportunities. Opportunities, for example, to open digital before physical hmm. because it's you can do it at a lower entry cost Okay, to try some new countries. And to be honest, we are surprised from time to time. We open a site and people start ordering on our side in a foreign country before even we have a presence in a given country. So that can give you some early indication yes. about how your brand is perceived, how big is your brand in a given country before you start putting all the capex and, and building the whole thing. I mean, country. I guess it's
0: particularly true for China. I mean, people were buying your products on Taobao, <laughs> not all of them real, <laughs> <laughs> long before you had like the full retail infrastructure.
1: Yeah, that's another issue about fake product. But uh, to consult I mean, China, I mean, how many How many cities we are going to be in and how long it will take us to open stores. Let's just say cities with more than a million inhabitants. It will take us a long time to get there. The e-commerce allow us to reach all China immediately.
0: And you're on the verge of launching a new e-commerce multi-plan platform uh, as well as a number of other sites. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And and I guess what the lessons you've learned from the the previous incarnation of uh, e-luxury?
1: Uh, it, it is a second trial today. We we believe, I mean, you know that we are presenting the selective distribution sectors through Sephora, but through Le Bon Marché, which is one of our, uh, I mean, store multi-brand. So this is an adjacent to Le Bon Marché to say, why can we an e-commerce brand in which we're not going only to sell our brand, we're going to sell as well uh, competing brands. So it's really... Uh, we don't see, Our brands will continue to have their own e-commerce, continue to have their own full journey. Mm. But this is another adventure, another business that we are trying to see our expertise in bringing maybe some smaller brands that do not have retails. Uh, can we use our name, our ability to brand and to address our consumers and give that as an opportunity to some of the nascent brand as well as to some of the established brands?
0: Coming into this with a lot of um, your own existing infrastructure, what advantages are you looking to leverage with this platform that a you know a pure internet player like uh, you know Ux or Matches Fashion or Netaporter didn't have?
1: Well, I I believe that a lot of our customers are reassured by the physical stores. Uh, uh, Even people who are ordering, for example, online, we were amazed by some comments of customers saying, well, the fact that I can order online and pick up from the store in some given countries uh, allow me to make sure that those are not fake products is i have a certainty that i'm picking a genuine product from your brand which honestly was not in our mind when when we opened this opportunity um so i believe that that's that's that supplies it's a reassuring factor and there are some moments where people want to have i would call um, a more human touch to that buy-in ceremony that they can have with us that they cannot have with the pure digital but at the same time, I recognize that some of the people that know what they want and they have enough information, they just want to get it and want convenience, and we need to be there. And we need and we continue to thrive to build what is a luxury digital experience. You know, it will be shame on us that you start having a luxury experience when you are on a website and so on, and then you get delivered the brown box that game being thrown in your garden. That's not luxury. <laughs> So how we deal with that? We start experimenting some what we call white glove deliveries. We would like that experience to drive it through. It's not because you ordered online that the that the luxury experience should not be there. We want to see what do we need to do from the supply chain so when you receive that package, the wow effect is there.
0: Do you think there's also a, an aspect of the 21st century digital luxury experience It's not just the the packaging and the appearance and the aesthetics, but it also has to do with the the knowledge, the way you leverage your customer data?
1: Definitely. The way you are going to manage the data will allow you to, first of all, and I need to talk about that, diminish the annoyance to the people. Uh, Today, we are all bombarded with emails. Today, we are all bombarded with a lot of solicitation. We don't believe that that's luxury. Knowing the people will allow us to address them with the right offer, with the thing that is really tailored to them digital allow us as well to have an easier way of doing personalization so that what we are doing is really specific to you. Uh, I would love to take you to Berluti and to see, for example, the experience of the tattoo where you can select your own tattoo and where do you want to place them in a pair of shoes. So once you get that pair of shoes, you're sure that you are the only one wearing them. There is not a second person that will be wearing that pair of shoes with that tattoo where you want to place it and the color that you selected. That's yours. And the fact that we will be able to offer that to multitude of people because you can take that home, sit there, and we have the right rendering so you can try different things and take your time. It may take you a week. It may take you two to make up your mind. That's not a problem. Take your time and do something that is going to be really specific to you. And if I can augment that journey by showing you the different stage of manufacturing. It's not so like by, when you buy a Tesla, right? Here you go. Yeah. So we do, by doing that, we are really getting you to be part of of the process of creating that unique product for you right so you see how we are carrying what the leather that we received how we selected the touch of our man that select that leather how we are carrying it how we are assembling it how we are going to put the tattoo that wait time is no more wait time it's already part of enjoying the fact that you made that decision to buy that it's product. part of the
0: experience you buy it
1: is part of the experience
0: of buying right and, and uh, this, this creates some unique challenges in terms of infrastructure and in the way you think about data in the group. Because, you know, in order to get scale, you have to think group-wide around this, not just Maison-wide. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you're looking to put in place to sort of support this vision of the future?
1: Well, um, I will then segment it. Infrastructure, definitely, it's global. And we are we are already global, and there are small things that we are finishing. But it's really global because they make no difference between Maison A and Maison B. Our network is global. Our data centers are global, and some of the I mean software they use needs to be global. That's that's a given.
0: Yeah.
1: Now you need to remind that our Maisons are competing against each other, so. I mean, asking, they're not
0: going to share customer data, right? Exactly. They will right. not
1: share customer data. First of all, because we made a commitment to our customers that we don't sell their data, that we don't share their data, so the data belongs to the Maison. And there is no reason why Maison A will share the data with Maison B because Maison B is part of LVMH. They will treat them exactly as if they were not LVMH. I mean, for them, it's a competitor. So, yes. now saying that, we believe that there is maybe some opportunities there in sharing some attributes of the customers, some of the know-how of the customers that can benefit the whole group. We're really at an early stage of investigating this. I mean, obviously we need to prove it from the legal perspective, from the, the promise that we are making to the customers. But let's assume that if, if I'm able to look at your journey not only within a maison, but within our brands within LVMH, and I discovered that you love sports. Okay? That's maybe an attribute without obviously sharing any of your transactional data with the maison, but just sharing that attribute within the maison that have already information about you as a customer to tell them you love sport. Right. We will not do any activation at the group level. We'll just give them that attribute that may allow each of the Maison to tailor better the offers that they are going to present to you. And
0: to even potentially enable the physical shop assistant when they speak to that person to be better informed.
1: Absolutely. So that's something that we are looking at. To be honest, it's really at an early stage to see it yes. uh, again. Privacy is a must, and we need—we absolutely will respect the privacy rules that we set for ourselves that are more stringent than any laws, which is we really don't want to annoy our customers because that's not luxury. But once we get over that, we will try to see what are those touch points that can create value for all the measles.
0: I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, if with the amounts of data that you can potentially collect, to be able to apply machine learning and algorithms to it, to be able to better understand people's motivations and behaviours would be very powerful.
1: Yeah, we already already doing some of that at Maison level. So if I look at, for example, Sephora and Louis Vuitton, we already have big data, we have already learning machines, we are already, you know, scrolling all the data, but that's data Maison by Maison. So LV will be looking to all the data mm. that they have about you as a customer of LV or as a prospect of LV, Louis Vuitton. And Sephora will do the same thing. So that's already happening today. What I'm talking about is really now at group level we may be able to see if you are a customer of louis vuitton and a customer of sephora can we find something in common there that will allow lv and sephora to better serve you without ever ever exchanging the information that you give to Sephora and the information to give to Louis Vuitton, but only some attributes.
0: This potential, I guess, for this, these new types of insights, uh, I think, creates a demand for new types of talent and leadership, because it's not enough just to have a creative or artisanal view of, of luxury. You need to have a very analytical, data-driven approach to in- interpreting these kinds of information. What are you noticing in terms of the people you're bringing into your organization and the ways they're making decisions? How is data changing, uh, I guess, uh, the way people, your leaders make decisions? Yeah,
1: well, that's the hardest piece. And and to be honest, specifically in our sector, is the hardest piece. We, it's always the eternal question, is are we driven by the data or do we create the data? I mean, we have some of the creative, they say they set the trend, they create the future, okay? (laughs) It's because they want red to be the next color that it become the next color. And some of the people say, well, now, by looking to the data, we'll find out the trend, and then we'll meet the trend. I don't believe that there is a right or wrong answer to this. I believe that there is both. Yes, we will be more, need to be more and more influenced by digital and by the data that we are capturing. But at the same time, uh, I don't believe that there is any data in the world that I would have created the iPhone before iPhone was created. So it's a mix of both where capturing this data allow us to do a much better job. And we see some of the generation that I join is that relying more in the data, which is great. But we see as well some other people who are still instinct and, and again having their belief that they are setting the trend, and the data will just prove <laughs> that they were right. Uh, joke apart, uh, it is it is the most difficult part, which is getting people to be more data driven, getting people to start believing more on the inside on data, really different sector by sector. Uh, retail, marketing people now use data extremely uh, extremely well. Logistics, supply chain, we have been using data for years and years and we will continue to use data. We just have more of it now. Uh, and data is now creating some of the issues like what I, we were just discussing about the blogger that will put a video on the light color and will just, I mean, send your demand to the sky and you don't know about it till it happens. So how do you adapt, how you create the agility so once you see the data, you are able of reacting to it very quickly. And believe me, it is, it is a nightmare. It <laughs> I
0: mean, is. I mean it, 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 it's uh, curious to imagine like a creative director of the future being, you know, part data savant, part uh, artistic genius. But I guess in the nearer term, when, when you're looking to hire people to bring them in the team, what are the kinds of, qualities or um, you know mental frameworks that you're looking for in a person to, to make you feel confident that they will fit this future mold uh,
1: the, the character again depending on w- which category of the people I mean definitely in my area if I have to talk about IT it is changing a whole the profile of the IT people that we're looking at I mean we need people that are uh, I mean obviously, more than emerge in those new technologies and familiar way to be able to drive the application, drive the changes of the future. And to be honest, there are not enough people on the market and we are all running conversion programs so that some of the people that have been working with us in, you know, I hate to call it old technology because the technology that we are using today will become old (laughs) in few, five years, but they're they're used mainly to the V-cycle of development. How do we create more agility? How do we get them to be more familiar of new ways of relating to the data to serve our customers, internal customers. Uh, if I look at my supply chain people, I mean, definitely uh, one of the skills that we needed people to master is forecasting because of the short windows of time that we have to commercialize a product. We need to be good at forecasting. We used to do forecasting by looking to the past sales. Uh, and and you know by definition a forecast is wrong. We are discovering that looking to some of the social data give us more insight to the future sales than any of our past sales.
0: But should humans even be doing forecasting? Isn't this something that could be much better done by algorithms?
1: Uh, Well uh, algorithms Uh, you know what they do is they usually prolong the cycle you know you look at past sales and you put some algorithm and that gives you the prediction I believe that in the future those algorithms as they start being branched on some other sources of data maybe the search on Google give me a better idea of what people are looking for than my past sales so we have to
0: expand our data set
1: exactly what is the data set what are the and how do you do the triage of the signals because you will have some good signals that you need to capture and you know that those will influence your sales but you have as well some weak signals but they have really huge impact but to do that those signals how do you get them let let me let me try to, to 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 explain this if a blogger is talking about one of our brand that easy because i have my brand names tagged there so i will go after it and i will find the brands great what if one of the celebrities is talking about whatever story, unrelated to our brand, nothing to do with our brand. But it just happened that this person was wearing one of our products. And that become viral because people like the topic. This is the Madonna doing the thing at Place de la République wearing one of our things. She was not talking about our brand and so on. And because there are tens of thousands of people that look at that bag or look at that scarf or look at their colors, and tomorrow you will see the demand. How do I even find out that that signal exists? Hmm. So now we are spending a lot of money on artificial intelligence and seeing how can we do image recognition? How can we do product recognition? How can I spot in WhatsApp or on whatever time of Instagram, how can I spot a photo of some of the celebrities that are wearing our product that are not paid media or earned it, it just happens to be there.
0: Right. And, and th- for this signal then to be fed as quickly as possible through to the supply chain?
1: Absolutely. Once we detect that signal, then we can see how we are going to be able to use it and how that can to influence. To be honest, it's R&D for the time being. We, we're doing progress, we're progressing there, but it's really at early stages.
0: So just finally, when you look ahead to the next five or to ten years, what are the aspects of your technology and digital strategy that you think will give you the greatest strength and innovation?
1: I'm, I'm a big believer that uh, big data linked to artificial intelligence will shape the future uh, and I say both uh, because you need large volume of data for artificial intelligence to work I mean it needs data you need to absorb a large volume of data that's going to shape the future because that will give us maybe m- more insight than we have today that will give us, more vision about what's going to happen rather than looking into the mirror and trying to understand what already happened i believe as well that ei will have a huge impact on our operations i mean we talked a lot about our customer journey but if i talk about our operations the way we manufacture uh, makeups the way we manufacture some of the product, we are an artisanal company and we used to do things manually but we are now at scales where some of those things are you know made in, in larger quantities when i look at the percentage of scrap for example in lipstick we don't have a full understanding of all the parameters that can impact a batch that will lead to zero that zero zero something percent scrap and some other batches that can have 30 percent scrap why how many parameters do we need to capture and store and we can run a television so that can tell us, is it temperature, is it humidity, is it the ingredient, is It is uh, the the product from this supplier or this supplier that make it. Those can hail to huge, huge improvements in our supply chain. So not the forecasting and the customer fulfillment, but I'm talking about manufacturing. And again, here we start some experimentation and we are really, really pleased by the outcome.
0: Mohamed, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com betweenworlds.